Welcome to Momentum Africa. I'm your host, Hashim Meki. Our show features African leaders that are shifting the paradigms in their fields. We explore themes of leadership, economic development, current challenges, and how these leaders are providing innovative solutions to be catalysts of change in their communities. Here at Momentum Africa, we understand that there are no panacea to all problems. And this is why we examine the following topics. The influence of past and current leaders, economic development, philanthropy, culture, and health within the continent of Africa. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, dear listeners. In this episode, we welcome Ms. Dunia McKinnon to Momentum Africa. Ms. Dunia McKinnon is human rights lawyer and gender advocate on Ethiopia and East Africa. So welcome, Ms. Dunia. Thank you very much, Hashim, and thank you for your, for your invitation to this podcast. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure to have you. Uh, let's begin with, uh, if you can share with us and our audience and about your incredible life experience that you have, uh, which have inspired you to become a human rights uh, lawyer, but also a gender equality uh, advocate for women in Ethiopia and, and East Africa in general. Oh, thank you very much, Hashim. I would first would love to thank uh, Momentum Africa for this um, extremely important podcast and the team of which is really very important for for us Africans. Um, I began my work on human rights and and gender equality in Ethiopia back in 2008 after graduating from law school and um, what actually inspired me to start my work on human rights and gender equality is my experience as a law student at Bahadar University, Ethiopia. In Bahadar, um, we used to have um, what we call human rights mood court competitions. Uh, These competitions focus on economic, social and cultural rights. We normally organize them between um, the different batches in the university. That is the third batch, you know, competes with the fourth batch. The second batch competes with the third batch on issues that are relevant to Ethiopia, particularly, you know, issues of economic, social and cultural rights, including the right to housing, the right to health and the right to education which we really had some problems back then. I'm talking around 2008, of course, the issues still exist. And um, be because of the moot court conditions, we actually raised you know, the awareness level of students on human rights issues, on accountability issues, on you know, the normative frameworks on human rights and what kind of obligations governments have in terms of you know, respecting and also promoting uh, human rights. And, uh, um, this inspired different, you know, youth members, different students to become human rights lawyers, to become human rights advocates on Ethiopia and also on Eastern Africa. This is the first, um, you know, um, I could I could call um, a click for me to actually understand the issues of my people, the issues of, you know, um, my community. And, and inspired me to actually, you know, start working on human rights because I knew what was really traveling my country back then. Um, but also at, you know, 
personal level, at household level, I actually saw, you know, the importance of uh, education, um, uh, especially for women and girls in Africa. I was raised by uh, a mother who never went to school and a father who was well educated and the difference was really very visible. Um, even though my mother was, you know, the one that inspired me to go to school and to be well educated, um, I have seen, you know, the challenges, uh, you know, um, of not going to school, especially for women and girls. And because of that, you know, I actually um, decided to work on gender equality and the empowerment of women. And I did so, you know, after graduating from law school back in 2007. Uh, the issue of uh, education has been uh, front and center, it seems like, from what you have just said. And uh, uh, as an advocate and a lawyer working on this uh, plethora of issues that you have just uh, outlined. And as a leader, how, uh, how, uh, how, how has your experience uh, shaped up from that time on in terms, have there been some patterns of uh, successful uh, strategies that uh, you've witnessed in the community or things that you have, uh, uh, try to encourage, but also things that you am amplify to to address some of the challenges that women face in Ethiopia, but also in East Africa, generally speaking. Yeah, that's a very good question. Yes, I believe you know after uh, observing those challenges myself, and also you know also understanding the benefits of education, I personally focused on like education. Um, I was personally, you know, giving more time and also more commitment to education because I believed, you know, changing myself is changing my community and also my country in terms of, you know, having, you know, well-empowered women um, in the country as well as um, in the region, in the Eastern Africa region of Africa. And then also uh, by empowering myself, especially through education, um, I tried also to empower other people, especially other women and girls. Um, upon graduating um, in, in Bahadar from the law school, my first job was to work as a pro bono lawyer, as a volunteer for the Ethiopian Women Lawyers Association. And um, the role was to advise women, you know, to pro provide legal counsel uh, to women who are, you know, um, very poor, who don't have any income and who cannot hire, you know, a lawyer for themselves. And what we've, we've tried to do is to support them through education and through information on how they can actually pursue you know, uh, the legal route if they want to go to court, if they want to get legal advice on issues of, you know, maintenance, on issues of custody, on issues of child support at the time, because most of the women were uneducated and also very poor and could not, you know, pursue those things by themselves. So I started with the Ethiopian Women Lawyers Association um, back in 2007 and um, after graduation. And then, you know, I actually pursued my education and joined later on with um, different uh, organizations, took on leadership roles. I joined an, an association called the Action Professionals Association for the People 
it was um, and the number one um, human rights organization in my country, Ethiopia, that worked on the whole spectrum of human rights, including civil and political rights, as well as you know economic and social and cultural rights. And through that position, I was able to train you know lawyers, to train paralegals, to train judges on you know. Um, their legal responsibility, especially in promoting and protecting child sexual abuse um, in the country by going through different parts of the country in the rural area, particularly to raise awareness about child sexual abuse and, you know, um, the rape of women and also other types of, um, you know, violence against women and children in the country. And uh, I believe that was because I went to school and, you know, I got a legal education. I went to school and learned about women's human rights, learned about child rights and etc. So education contributed to most of the leadership roles I had. Um, as I tried to mention, after, um, after taking uh, some of the positions with local civil society organizations in my country, I later joined the United Nations system. And um, my first job was to work as a program officer on ending violence against women with UN women. And the job was to launch a, a what we call the Africa Unite campaign to end violence against women and children. This was actually the UN Secretary General's campaign on ending violence against women in Africa. And it was um, planned to end violence against women in 2015. And I launched the, you know, the Africa Unite campaign in Ethiopia and tried to, you know, commit the Ethiopian government so that they have a political commitment to end violence against women in the country. Um, you know, um, and we have got several commitments at the time, I remember, from regional and, you know, um, also federal governments to end violence against women uh, in the country. And that worked. And my work with UN One was not limited to supporting some of, you know, the initiatives of the UN Secretary General, but also supporting local CSOs. There, was, there were different local civil society organizations that provided what we call, you know, uh, survivor-focused uh, services for women and children who are raped and who were sexual, sexually abused. These local civil society organizations provide shelter, they provide hotlines, they provide education, they provide, um, you know, clothing and ATC. And my works, um, in my work um, with UN Women, I supported civil society organizations who are providing those services to the vulnerable and especially to women and girls who went through uh, sexual abuse. And also, I took on a leadership role with UNICEF and worked on child protection issues. I actually worked as an alternative care expert with UN Women. Um, and this role was, uh, you know, supporting the, uh, the work on alternative care. Alternative care is to mean that, um, for instance, if a child doesn't have a family, how can you support the child to be, you know, to be raised in an environment that looks like a family or that's kind of similar to a family environment? And I designed and developed different tools for, you know, sponsorship, foster care and also institutional care in my country so that children can get better, uh, you know, services from institutions, from uh, also if they go through the adoption process, how that adoption process should look like and how you know human rights should be integrated into the adoption process in my country. My last role before I come to the US was with the UN Human Rights Commission, with the UN High Commissioner for uh, Human Rights, Eastern Africa Regional Office. And that covered uh, our work with you know Djibouti, Eritrea, Ethiopia, 
and um, Tanzania. And I was working as um, a human rights officer with the, the office supporting, you know, the work of civil society, the work of civil society organizations, and also worked as a liaison with the African Union Commission, particularly the political affairs department and the social affairs department of the African Union Commission. Um, so these were some of the leadership roles, but you know, at local level, I was also participating as you know a member of the Law Students Union. I was a member of you know the Addis Ababa Youth, um, you know Addis Ababa Youth, um, uh, also supporting you know volunteer services, especially during summer times. We used to provide uh, you know free education for uh, children who cannot you know pay for you know um, education who are very poor in their academic performance and who needed you know more support from us in terms of you know free um, education in terms of you know providing them with books and you know other informations to make them more empowered because they normally go to public schools and they couldn't you know perform very well and this were some of the volunteer works i did but in terms of my leadership, my leadership role before I come to Georgetown, uh, you know, to uh, USA, um, um, I was um, with the United Nations and tried to contribute to the work of the United Nations in the area of women's uh, rights, child protection, and also human rights in general. This seems to be very, very uh, busy uh, leadership roles that you've had uh, that ranges from Ethiopia and the local level, working with uh, this woman volunteering and working in Tanzania for the UN and moving uh, to, to Georgetown to pursue your uh, uh, graduate uh, degree. So of obviously, uh, as a leader, we often look up to someone who might have mentored you uh, people who have uh, opened the doors for you throughout this uh, successful leadership roles that you've had. So if you can pinpoint uh, two or three examples uh, and how they have uh, managed to shape your leadership style and, and give you the confidence to be the change maker that you are today. Thank you, Hashim. Um, so after coming to, you know, Georgetown, actually, was able to join join the LLM program of um, Georgetown University. That's the national security program of Georgetown University. And um, I was the first person, the first woman, African Ethiopian woman to be provided with the opportunity to study the national security LLM program of Georgetown University as part of the women's law and public policy program of Georgetown law. It was both fruitful as well as, you know, very challenging because um, I was um, um, never, you know, accustomed or had no familiarity with the U.S. legal system when I joined, the, you know, the National Security LLM program of Georgetown University. But especially the program's director, um, her name is Tina Zimmerman. And she she really was very encouraging during my time at Georgetown University in terms of um, you know me pushing for you know scoring good results in my LLM program and also encouraging me psychologically to be tougher you know to actually um, understand the challenges and also and you know get to know the U.S. system better and she helped me very well in terms of performing very uh, you know 
perform for per, performing you know um very well during my study at Georgetown University and and I would really want to name mention her name in this regard I also would like to you know thank my professor um, at Georgetown University who is actually leading the women's law and public policy program and who is also currently leading the women's law and public policy program. Her name is Professor Jill Morrison and uh, she's still currently you know, leading the program and has actually empowered different African women um, to become you know, um, advocates, um, lawyers on women's human rights and bring issues of women, um, you know, to a um, higher level and to, to make us uh, help us to be visible and also, you know, also in the meantime, support our countries in terms of, you know, in terms of, you know, um, bringing the plights of women into, um, you know, um, to, to the public through our, you know, research work, which we do um, during our stay at Georgetown University. And she helped us, you know, be connected to different U.S. organizations while we were students at Georgetown University Law Center, and I really want to uh, thank her. But primarily, when I, I grew up, um, I had the support of my mother. As I told you, my mother was the first and the number one um, inspiration for me, and she's still my hero because she was not educated. But even though she was not educated, she actually, you know, uh, inspired uh, most of us to go to education. One thing that I didn't you know, tell you is that I am the uh, first child in my family to go to higher education. Um, but uh, I looked uh, to you know, my mother who told me that if I'm not going to school, if I am not well educated, that uh, I will uh, not have you know, a decision making power in the future because education gives you that, you know, that power. It informs you on what kind of steps you need to take, but also you'll have income. As you know, income is very important when it comes to power and when it comes to decision making. Unless you're educated and you have good income, in most cases, especially when you are in a fam family household, it's very difficult for women to make decisions that are pertinent and very relevant to them. Um, Africa-wide, since we are actually uh, today in your program, um, Momentum Africa, I see, um, you know, Nelson Mandela, Mandela as my hero. And he has always been my hero. And I actually wrote uh, a scholar, um, uh, a scholarly writing with uh, the LLA program of uh, Georgetown University's National Security um, Section, National Security LLM program, and um, highlighting the important leadership contribution. Nelson Mandela can have on the national security programs of the U.S. and the national security, you know, for national security lawyers in the U.S. Because um, I see uh, Nelson Mandela as my hero, uh, important, uh, particularly because of he, the way uh, the strategies he actually used during, you know, the apartheid in South Africa, especially he was actually um, uh, able to speak with, you know, what we now may call enemies, you know, and um, he actually sat down. He had a very good conversation with people who may not care about the issues he cares about. And he actually was able, you know, to pass through them. He was able to convince them and he was able to bring a solution to the country. Uh, but now we don't have those, those kind of leaders, as you know, most of them are polarized 
they don't want to compromise and you know it's uh, it's making the world a place of war and a place of conflict because we don't have leaders like Nelson Mandela and um, I took on that strategy in my own you know uh, personal um, uh, development in my per my own personal career and even if I know you know some people might not agree with me on some issues I do not like close the you know the conversation with them I believe it's important that we discuss with people who have diverse opinions we, we, we should discuss with people whom we think are actually in a very extreme um, end of um, you know our discussion or our conversation who don't actually agree with us unless we do that it's really um, uh, uh, hard to have you know uh, to work for a common goal in this world and and we should take on his leadership skills his uh, strategies uh, if, as Africans if we really want to have you know um, an Africa that's stable that's peaceful and you know that also is inclusive of diverse you know um, communities and also diverse of opinions in the continent that being said uh, obviously throughout your this incredible journey that you've had you must have uh, had some setbacks or failures or moments where you're like okay uh, what do i do now and but also how did you pivot from that uh, so that our uh, current leaders uh, could learn from your example okay um thank you that's actually a very challenging question hashim and uh, uh because I, I i see so many of them because um uh, i i have Unless you actually go through the challenges, you will not learn, you know, from um, the challenges and, you know, become resilient for most of the issues that you face in the future and also pres on present day. Um, and um, I uh, actually, um, um, when I was in Ethiopia, I actually went to, you know, public schools. I didn't go to private schools. Um, as I told you, um, um, as I, to I told you, I was an outstanding student in my country. I actually, when I was at high school, when I was um, in during my high school period, um, I actually um, stood from number one to number three from you know all the classes during my um, high school period. And um, but some of the challenges uh, when you go to like public schools um, is, um, you know, getting like, you know, good standard books, maybe um, like um, good mentors. Um, I actually was mentored by my, my own father um, who is well-educated. Um, he was educated, you know, outside of Ethiopia. So he actually helped me with my language skills and everything. Um, but um, I personally have seen that, uh, uh, you know, students who go to public schools in my country um, face several challenges. Um, and um, if they don't have somebody like my father who can mentor, mentor you in terms of, you know, doing the homework with you, giving you some language skills, transferring some language skills, as well as, you know, um, as well as, you know, provide you with some books. It's very difficult for many of, you know, the students who go, to, uh, who actually go to public schools in my country. And um, I see that um, this is an area that, you know, maybe people who really want to support my country um, in terms of, you know, education could look into 
because um, I know that in the US we have, you know, se several NGOs working around, you know, collecting books um, and also, you know, helping, you know, other students um, very uh, be empowered. And um, that's one area I personally have seen a challenge and um, I believe I uh, resolved it because uh, my, my dad helped me, you know, through my education and everything. Uh, especially when it comes to mentoring me, you know, and on the courses. But for the, you know, for other students, is this is still a challenge, and they need more support and you know more um, help. Another challenge that I faced is, uh, especially when I come to America, is you know the cultural issues in the US, and you know especially um, you know we as Africans when we come to uh, you know a new country. It's very hard, you know, to actually um, be detached from some of the, the the way we are actually raised, and that includes especially for women and girls to speak up, you know, before um, you know a large uh, audience, or you know, even to say, or um, we don't, we're not, we were not told, or we were not educa educated in a way that we can actually disagree with people. It, it's it's like um, a very bad culture where you know. We were told uh, that it's good to say okay to everything, which is really very bad. And um, not only women and girls of Africa, but also also men and boys, they suffer from these challenges. And they need to know how to say how to poli politely say no to the things they don't agree, or you know, if they are not convinced of those issues. Um, so we uh, we still need, you know, some work around this. And I actually uh, worked on myself um, to be able, you know, um, to to be able to say, you know, no to people, to say, uh, to disagree with people, um, but still, you know, not in the conversation with those people. That's also the problem, because normally most people, what they do is they could say no to, you know, the conversation and leave the discussion or move away from those kind of people. But what we have to do is, you know, try to agree um, to disagree, right? So this is something I have personally worked on and personally think Africans have, you know, some challenges with. And um, we also have um, uh, challenges. I, I also have seen that we have challenges in terms of, you know, um, networking with other, uh, you know, people and also learning the culture the leadership, you know, um, type, and also, um, you know, the 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 work environment of, you know, um, a different country, and um, a different country, and that has been a really some problem uh, I have seen on myself and others. It's um, because we call we consider that as uh, being an out, um, you know, being outgoing. Uh, if we go out and network and everything, and that's a challenge. Um, I personally have seen with me as well as with you know um, some other scholars uh, in the continent, and um, we also um, have some some challenges. Especially uh, personally, have seen some challenges about not selling yourself, even though you know you are well educated, you are you have the potential as an African, you know better about you know the continent yourself you are from the continent but you don't take uh, you know um like um you don't represent the continent when you are called to represent the continent or you actually shy away from you know opportunities to speak about the issues or about the, uh, the, the issues that relate uh, to the continent and that has actually sidelined 
most of the scholars uh, who came from Africa. So uh, scholars who are sidelined coming from Africa, you were saying? Yes. Uh, so what I'm trying to say, Hashim, is it is particularly because of the culture that we are raised in, because we we're not you know, told to say that I know this. It feels like for many people to say I know about this issue is like to be, you know, um, you know, um, you know, to be very outgoing or, uh, you know, and we were not appreciated um, in our community when we said this before in our own community, you know. So because of this culture, when we come to the, to the US, we don't say, uh, you know, I know or we don't show our potential or, um, you know, our skills uh, to others, thinking that it would be considered, you know, um, out being an outgoing person or being, you know, a bad person, which is something we need to change. And I personally have done this. And now I, you know, like, you know, we all need to update our LinkedIn page. We, we all need to share our works, our scholarly writings on, you know, different, you know, websites different, uh, you know, uh, social media tools. Um, we need to talk about our skills and knowledge because there is nobody who knows about Africa, you know, better than Africans. And um, if we cannot speak up, it's really very bad. And we are actually, um, this is disadvantages to the continent as well. And we should speak up. This is something, you know, I really want to pass on to my uh, colleagues, um, uh, you know, here and also, you know, to my African, you know, uh, scholars here in Washington, D.C. area. I, I very much uh, relate to that, too, because it's it's our African way or culture way, but you don't challenge authority. You and we taught, especially for women, you, you cannot raise your voice and for boys, too. You know, there's certain ways of good behavior and bad behavior. So thank you so much for highlighting that. And that being yes. said. Yes. That, uh, just to add on yes. that, Hashim. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we are actually raised in a way that we are actually um, we end up being, you know, afraid of uh, authorities, as you mentioned. And even when we want to give feedback or comment on authorities, you know, we are very, we are very afraid, but we are, um, we can give a constructive feedback to authorities so they can actually change, right? The, uh, any authority, it's, there is no perfect, perfect authority. Um, even we have seen what happened in the US recently, right? So even in a country where you believe there is, you know, uh, democracy, there are challenges. So, for instance, in my own area of um, field, that's the legal field, people are afraid. Most people do not want to be seen as opposing, you know, authorities. But it's this is not to mean that you hate your country. If you really want to change your country, you have to provide constructive feedback for your country's benefits, for the sake of your country. And um, that should change, not only for, you know, um, on, you know, maybe um, what we call democracy or human rights issues, but in other areas as well, including sustainable development goals. I actually work as part of the African Working Group on Sustainable Development Goals, starting from 2015. Um, 
2014-2015, where uh, we had the post, you know, MDG goals discussion in Africa with the UN Economic Commission and the AU, and I, I am a part of the CSO working group. We normally talk about why Africans' voice should be heard, you know, at higher level, and that Africans should speak about issues related to, for instance, illicit financial flows that actually move away from Africa and go to different places where you have corruption in the countries and most of the countries in Africa. But people, when they speak about these issues, they all, most of the time, they are afraid. Of course, because as you know, we have authoritarian um, governments in most African countries, including in Eastern Africa. But that should change and we should be able to provide constructive feedback to our country's system to our own authorities so we can have a very different country so we can have we can benefit our country as well that's what i think agreed that uh change change cannot come with people not uh you have to seek the change that you want to see in the world that you live in particularly in these countries that we all come from that they could do better if you know if people uh push them to have more accountability but also to root out corruption so as as someone who who have worked in this different leadership roles what would you say that your leadership style is i think you alluded to it uh, in various uh areas but if you can crystallize it what would it be your uh, if you would say your secret sauce for leadership skills that we would seek to have in African countries? Well, for some of them, I have already raised. One is that we need to be open to other people's, you know, feedback, other people's uh, opinion, because um, Africa is not a homogeneous continent. It's, it's a heterogeneous continent. You have people who speak about, you know, who speak, um, for instance, in my country, Ethiopia, we have 80 ethnic groups who speak different languages, we have similar, uh, you know, uh, countries in Eastern Africa where you have various languages, various ethnic groups. And unless we actually understand, you know, the other people's opinion or, you know, their diverse um, backgrounds, it would be very difficult to live, you know, together as Africans. This is something we should, uh, you know, I personally believe that a leader should be very inclusive in terms of, you know, understanding others and in terms of you know conversing and discussing with other peoples and understanding from what which background that group or that individual is speaking and we shouldn't you know remove people who oppose um the to the opinion that we have we should be able to, to listen you know and i believe listening is very important as a leader listening to everybody you know in your um and area in your it could be in your office right it could be if you are a teacher as a teacher you should be able to listen to all students and as a leader in a country you should be able to listen to everybody it's everyone else in your country including women and girls you know most of the time women are silenced um because they cannot actually first to begin with they cannot actually um you know, share the public space in their country because they have a lot of burdens at household level, as you know. But if even if they want to to join or to actually go to the public space, still they're actually um, 
they face patriarchal normative standards. They face patriarchy in most African countries, and that has been very challenging. And I have seen this problem uh, in my country as well. I was waiting for you know uh, voices from women uh, to you know to some of the issues that we have today, but I don't see women you know very active in kind of you know ending violence in my country, in bringing people together in my country, or else in other parts of. Um, Eastern Africa, and it's important that um, leaders are inclusive and provide the platform, a better platform for every everyone to come and speak, and that's very important. So, as a leader, that's something I personally do. When I work as a team leader in an organization, I'll try to listen to what other people are saying, including when I work with interns, for instance. I will ask my interns what they care about you know, on issues. So we should be very inclusive. And listening and being an inclusive leader is very important. But being transformative is also very important. When I say transformative, you might have leaders everywhere, right? But if you want to be a unique leader, you should bring a change to existing problems. You should solve existing problems. You shouldn't add, you know, more challenges and more problems to existing problems. You need to be the source of a solution and you need to be you know unique you need to be very creative you need to think out of the box it's not always what the society you know thinks maybe what the society thinks is now working right maybe you should you need to actually bring some ideas uh, from um other countries maybe you need to bring some ideas from other places and um so i um believe being transformative is very important so as I said, uh, it's very important to be transformative, to be to try to be unique, and also um, to learn from others. Uh, I personally think you know um, education doesn't end. You learn from others, you know, even if you are old, and you should be open to you know learning from others. Um, and you will always get something new from others. You will understand. Maybe you will learn about a different leadership. You know a strategy, a model from other countries. What Africans also miss is even if we have, you know, some democratic countries, as you know, in Africa, especially in the Southern Africa, we don't share experience with each other. We don't learn from each other. From each leader can actually be a thought leader for the other leader in the continent. But this has been missing. We don't have experience sharing platforms. We don't have, you know, a mentorship um, platforms that are, um, you know, very strong that could actually empower our leaders. And that's really missing. And I think that's very important. Thank you for uh, this passionate uh, advice for what a, what a leader ought to be transformative and actually listening to others and not to be afraid to entertain other people's uh, views, particularly the minorities in our society, women and give them that space so that they can also contribute to the well-being and uh, transform uh, our societies. Uh, in, a in a final thoughts, what, what's going on in your mind in terms of the state of affairs in the world in Ethiopia and East Africa? And we all know that this pandemic going on, and then we would conclude. 
well, a lot of things are happening, Hashim. The start of the COVID pandemic has been actually impacting not only Africa, but the world. Um, I was really so sad to see the US being, you know, um, in the first country actually to have, I mean, like to see that much adverse, imp you know, impact on the US with the pandemic was really very scary for me because I expected the US healthcare system to be better than you know most countries in the world including africa but i have seen a lot of people you know die including you know my colleagues um ethiopian colleagues and friends at uh, you know an ethiopian church which has been very very sad and uh, i have been volunteering with some groups in terms of providing you know legal information about what they can do if they are you know infected infected by covid if they, if they need an employment benefit i was raising awareness on you know immigration issues during the covid pandemic but we also have wars in different countries and um, i want to focus on in africa we have nigeria as you know who is still you know having the middle belt crisis we have issues of freedom of expression in the country we have, you know, Boko Haram in the continent still, you know, and, you know, affecting the peace and stability of Nigeria, as you know. And we have Cameroon. Um, we also have now Ethiopia, where you have, you know, had uh, conflicts in. We're currently, you know, actually in a state of emergency in the Tigray region of Ethiopia. And um, as I tried to mention um, before. I don't think, uh, you know, conflicts uh, will solve uh, existing uh, problems, long-standing problems in our continent, in Africa. And we actually lack, you know, the, um, the strategy for leadership. We lack strategies for discussions, especially, you know, I want to, um, you know, pinpoint to young people in our continent. Um, uh, young people in our continent should not be you know the targets or should not be used as targets for what happened in the past young people should think out of the box about today because most of the continents young people are well educated if you see most of the conflicts it's the young people who are affected by the conflicts but who are used by by you know political parties and political elites and for the purpose of, you know, enforcing their strategies, it's the young people and the young people today who are educated, who can think out of the box, should lead the continent, should have, you know, you know, should take the power from people who think, you know, who, uh, who are not actually bringing any solution to the continent. They should be given the opportunity to lead the continent they should not be used by political elites and you know others to actually you know to the extent of distracting their own people their their own people in their own country they should think out of the box and they should actually be a transformative leader today and change the continent for good that's what i think hashim thank and you this is thank you so much this is very good advice and passionate uh, call for action for our leaders. So I, I hope they're listening to uh, provide youth uh, and the current, uh, you know, young youngster, young uh, leaders with an opportunity to lead, uh, to lead 
you know, into the next uh, chapter of good leadership and prosperous and stable countries uh, throughout Africa. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank Dunia you very much, Ashim. You're welcome. I'm very uh, pleased that we've had uh, sat down and uh, been able to uh, have this uh, uh, very informative, lively, and energetic uh, discussion. So if people wanted to reach out to you, where would they go to find you? Um, okay, I can put... So my email address is dunia, D-U-N-I-A-T-E-G-E-G-N at gmail.com. But they can find me on LinkedIn, Dunia Makonen Kageng. And they can also find me on Africa Law, which is a platform of African lawyers writing about issues relevant to Africa. And I write about different issues on Africa and they can find me there. I'm always open, open to creating new networks and also open to consulting, providing pro bono consulting as well for Africa-focused programming on youth and women and children um, issues. And thank you so much uh, for uh, this uh, great interview. Uh, stay blessed. And thank you so much for our listeners for tuning in. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next uh, in next episode. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hashim, and thank you. Thanks for Momentum Africa for the opportunity. Have a great day. You're welcome. Thank you so much.